Amen. Thank you, Pastor Todd. Welcome, everybody, to Wyoming Valley Church. We're glad that you're here today, and uh, thanks for joining us. Do we want to move that, uh, yeah, that one over? Yeah, thanks for joining us today. We hope that today's service is a blessing. I, uh, I don't know if, if I have ever talked with you about this before, but I have a, a skill and a talent that is going to amaze you today. Because I'm going to demonstrate that skill and that talent. All of uh, my ministry here at Wyoming Valley Church, I don't think that I have ever shown you this. But I want to today, okay? So um, as we get started, if you have the uh, yellow or goldenrod pamphlets that are there, please take that. Please get a pen or pencil handy. And then also get your Bible. And uh, in front of you there, scattered around the auditorium, are actually pieces of paper. And so humor me. Don't forget I'm bigger than you. Humor me. Go and get a piece of paper, and I'm going to show you about that in just a minute, okay? So this is a skill that is a talent that I have developed over years and years of practice. I want you to know, and it helps having grandchildren, because this is my skill, all right? That's, that's my skill. I can make a paper airplane. That's not a book either. You're, you're, uh, yeah, you're, you're impressed, right? Now, here's the thing. I want to teach you how to make that kind of paper airplane today, okay? So grab a sheet of paper, grab a sheet of paper, and I already proved to you that I can make one, so I want you to fold it in half lengthwise, please, okay? Fold it in half lengthwise. And then starting at one corner, I want you to fold the paper down so it makes a point in the corner, okay? Starting in the corner. Then turn the paper over and do the same thing on the other side. So there's a point, see? All right? Okay, see, so there's a point there. Then I want you to do that again, okay? Start at the same point and fold it down again. So you fold it on top of itself, all right? So you fold it down again, all right? So the end product should look something like this, all right? All right, so everybody got that? And on three, I want you to throw them all at Pastor Todd, okay? One, two, three. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there, you, there you go. And we will pick, we will pick those up afterwards. But uh, Pastor Todd got the, got, the, uh, uh, got, got, the, got the winner here. Now, um, yeah, that dumb illustration. Here, here's the thing. Um, we got uh, here where we meet at, at Dauphin Plaza here in uh, Plains Township in Wilkesbury. Uh, we got new neighbors as, as a church. Um, two doorways down that way is now the office of Fortis. I think it's F-O-R-T-I-S which trains people to drive semi-trucks to get their CDL license, okay? You will notice that in the few weeks past, the back lot that has been excavated for quite a while, they actually spread that out more, and now back there, there are semi-trucks, and what they're doing is teaching people to drive semis, um, I also want to point out to you something that is probably fairly obvious, and that is I'm not back there training anybody how to do that, 
right? I'm not back there doing that. I don't have a clue. My dad drove truck for a long time, but I, I don't have any idea how to do that. Man, it would be, I, I don't even know if I'd get the thing moving or back it up or whatever. Also, one of our neighbors here in the building is, is Quad A, right? Which they, you've seen people out there trying to learn how to parallel park. They teach people to parallel park with cones, right, that are set up in the parking lot on the other side of the driveway. That's probably, if you're learning how to drive, right, that's probably a pretty good thing to practice with plastic cones that you can knock over instead of somebody else's car, right? I um, took driver training when I was a kid. Uh, I turned 16 in Pennsylvania. I think it's still, you can get your learner's permit and then your driver's license when you turn 16, right? Is that still the case in Pennsylvania? And so uh, my birthday is in April. And so I turned 16 that, you know, that year in, in April. And so I had my, my dad uh, and my mom some, but had taught me how to drive or whatever. So as soon as I got my birthday, I mean, we're talking downtown Montrose, right? In fact, the day I took my driver's license, they couldn't find any place in town uh, to have me parallel park because there wasn't that many cars, you know, in our big city of Montrose. So... I backed around the corner, and I could do that, and I got my license, so I drove all the way from April, May, June, July, August, September, started school the next year, and that's when they made me take driver training, after I'd had my license for several months already. So the very first day of driver training, the teacher says, well, Mel, you don't need this, you've had your, but I, you had to do it for, for school or for insurance or something, and so literally, the times that I took driver training, I'm not sure if I got away with something or whatever, but the teacher would drive with somebody else and I could sit in the back during school and do homework. So I'd sit in the back and they'd drive around Montrose looking for a place to parallel park for the new kid. And uh, meanwhile, I had my, I had my license already. Um, Luke and I and Pastor Todd had, uh, had lunch the other day, right, this week. And Luke's been, been busy, busy this summer down in South Carolina. And Luke, one of the things that, you're, that you started was flying lessons, right? Yes. And, and how did they do that? They showed you out, you know, out in the airport, there's an airplane, go fly it, right? That's what they did? Yeah, no. They sent him up with an instructor, right? There's somebody there who knows how to fly the plane that can teach you how to fly the plane. But in all of those illustrations, my dumb paper airplane driving semi-trucks, drive, taking your driver's license, Luke taking flying lessons, all of those, there's a couple of key elements. Number one is there's a teacher who knows how to do it themselves. They do it themselves. They're able to communicate how to do it. And then the third step is also to learn how to do it. They make you do it. They wouldn't have cleared off that space in the back, right, it, unless they wanted you to learn, or the students, to learn how to back up the semi-truck and all of that, get it in the proper place, and, and all of that, because you have to do it sometime. Our passage today, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 11. There's the same principle there about prayer. Okay? And as we get started today, I want you to notice 
that the title of the lesson is Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And I want to talk with you about how he did that this morning. How he taught people how to pray. So in Luke chapter 11, I'm going to read for us the first 13 verses of the Gospel of Luke. And we're talking about lessons for living from the Gospel of Luke. And today we're going to talk about prayer. And here it is. Now it came to pass. <coughs> As he was praying. Let me, let me stop there. Remember my illustration. Paper airplanes driving semis, taking your driver's training class, or Luke learning how to fly an airplane, right? As he was praying, one of the things that's a key to this passage, I think, is that his disciples, his students, if you will, saw and heard Jesus praying. As he was praying, he demonstrated that, he modeled that, he set the example for that, so much so that they noticed it. Uh, Dr. Luke is writing this gospel, and he is writing this. He investigated. I've talked with you about that before. The details of what happened and what happened in Jesus' life and the disciples that were there. And so this was important enough to show up later on in this narrative that Jesus was praying in a certain place. It doesn't... This passage doesn't exactly tell us where. But then it says this, when he ceased, that one of his disciples, one of the guys that were following him, said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Okay, let me stop again there. Again, my illustration of how does someone teach somebody anything. First of all, the instructor here, Jesus, was praying. They noticed that he was praying. They observed that, and actually that created a motivation and enthusiasm, a curiosity maybe about prayer so much that one of the guys said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he did that. And then they also said, as John, in this case, probably John the Baptist, taught his disciples or taught his students. So Jesus has the floor. The topic is prayer. And he says this, so he said to them, when you pray, again, remember my dumb illustrations to start today, okay? Paper airplane. It wasn't enough that I told you or I showed you that I could make a paper airplane. I had you do the paper airplane. Quad A, driving school. The instructor doesn't go out there and parallel park. He has the students parallel park. Fortis Truck Driving School in the back. I'm sure that those guys, the instructors, know how to back up the semi, but they have you do it. Someday, Luke is going to solo if he continues flying lessons. Where he goes up, man, oh man, Luke, no offense, but that's got to be scary a little bit. You're all by yourself in the airplane. Well, why would they do that? Because by then, he's practiced and he's had several hours in the plane with the instructor who has, right, another set of controls right there. Right? It's like the driver training car that has the, the dude has another brake, right? We screw up him, he can stop the thing and say, hey, let's start over again and learn. So it's a key thing that Jesus said about prayer. When you pray. When you pray. And I think it's important that as we look at this, that, I mean, how basic can you get? Jesus wants his followers to pray. He prayed. 
People noticed that he prayed. People asked if he could teach them how to pray. And then he assumes that we're going to pray. In fact, then he gives us a, a pattern, an example, a model prayer, if you will. And let me, let me read it to you. When you pray, say this. And, and I'll talk to with you about that. It doesn't mean memorize this. I re, I'm old enough that in Pennsylvania, when I was a kid, we used to have to recite the Lord's Prayer in school. And it was this rote memory and not certain. That's not what Jesus is saying. And I'll talk with you about that. But here's the prayer. When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed or honor be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Verse 5, and he said to them, still, I'm sure, talking about prayer. Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him, the neighbor, from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give bread to you. Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him the bread because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Verse 9, so I say to you, Ask, and we read a parallel passage this morning. TGD read that to us from Matthew. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Jesus gives another illustration. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asked for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, he will offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, having a sin nature like all of us do, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's the word of God. This morning, I just want to share with you quickly what I'm going to call powerful and practical principles of prayer. Jesus, because of the Word of God, is teaching us to pray. And I, on the PowerPoint, I divided this passage into the paragraphs that are here, and I'm going to do that for our outline as well. So I'm going to share with you these three principles, okay? Number one is Jesus talked about, and you have the outline there in your notes. You don't have to write down a whole lot today at all. You have these principles. But I'm going to talk with you about Jesus' pattern for prayer. Folks, he never intended that to be that every time we pray, we say that. Jesus didn't do that. I'm going to show you that today. The second principle is persistence in prayer. It talks there about a story, about an illustration. I don't know if that ever happened or if that was an illustration that Jesus was using 
for here, but he talked a story about a neighbor that went to a neighbor and asked for bread. And it wasn't because they're friends that the guy got up and gave him bread. It was because of his persistence. We're going to talk with you about that. In other words, here it is midnight, and he's driving his neighbor nuts. Okay, okay, I'm going to give you bread, and you go away. And that's kind of how it was. And then the third thing is I'm going to talk with you about a personal focus in prayer. Notice that Jesus makes the illustration very, very, very personal here. A father and a son, a son asking his dad for stuff and makes it very personal and then concludes, which I think is one of the interesting things about this passage, by Jesus saying that God is going to give us the Holy Spirit in response to those requests. And we'll talk about that more in, ju in just a minute. So let's talk about the pattern for prayer. I talked with you a little bit about this already. The passage starts this. Now, as it came to pass, as he was praying, I, I think it's important to notice, before I give you an outline and talk you through what I put in the notes for this today, I, I think it's important to say this. Jesus is our pattern for prayer. Jesus is the Son of God. He is he was and is God. And yet he prayed. I think prayer, to be brutally honest with you this morning, I think it's one of those things that we talk a lot about and that we hear a lot about in church. And yet, as far as practicing it, maybe it's not as big a deal in our life until we feel that there's a crisis or a need and then we pray. I think that's kind of how it is. It's almost like a last resort. But I think it's important to understand, and I'm going to show you this, about how prayer was a priority in Jesus' life. One commentator I read this week said this about Jesus. The supreme example of prayer in all of Scripture is drawn from the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember my illustration, paper airplanes, driving a truck, uh, driver training for the car, flying an airplane, you know, sooner or later, you know, the instructor has to be able to do it to teach it. I, I have a book in my office at home. It's called The Seven Laws of Teaching. Let me paraphrase the, the first law of teaching, Mel's paraphrase, and that is this. You can't teach something you don't know. You can't. Again, I'm not the guy back there teaching guys how to drive a semi. I told Luke this story this week. Luke and I were talking about that. I took flying lessons up at Binghamton, Broome County Airport, the year I graduated from high school because our high school offered that as adult education. I have, I have a couple of hours in the air, right, in, in an airplane, the same kind of airplane that Luke's taken lessons from. We did this summer down in South, in South, Af South Africa, South, Amer South America, South Carolina. I'll get it. South Carolina. Luke, do you want me to be your instructor? You better say no, dude. I, I don't, you know, that's, no. And that, and, that was, and that was over 45 years ago. My goodness, that's, I'm not the guy to do that. I don't know how to do that. You know, I can't teach. Jesus is the model of prayer. I did a little Bible study this week of some of the times in Scripture when Jesus prayed. I just took my Bible and started flipping through the Gospels. And it hit me that, that Jesus prayed a lot. 
He was God. The, uh, the Bible talks about how Jesus was involved in the cre- it did the creation of the universe, part of the Godhead, God. And he prayed a lot. Jesus prayed a lot. He prayed. Here's, here's just some. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed when he was preaching. He prayed all night before he chose his disciples. He prayed before he fed the 5,000. That's probably a good thing to do, pray before you eat, right? Now, I don't think it's legalistic in the Bible. I don't think it is, but Jesus prayed before he ate. He did, at least on a couple of different occasions. He prayed before he fed the 4,000. He prayed when he, Jesus, when he asked Peter, who's the Christ, he prayed. He prayed during worship. He prayed for children. I love that one. They brought children to him and he prayed. He returned when, he prayed when people got back from ministry. He prayed before doing miracles sometimes. He prayed, wow, did he pray? Before he faced the cross. He prayed at the Last Supper with his disciples. He prayed. He prayed from the cross. Wow, right? He prayed for individual disciples after the resurrection. He prayed on the road to Emmaus. He prayed at his ascension when he went back to heaven. And then the last one, and I put it at the end. It's out of chronological order. And I highlighted it in orange or whatever that is on the PowerPoint. And that is sometime, sometime, in your personal devotions, in your time with God, read or read again John 17. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer. There's a lot of people, and when we look at the passage that we're looking at today, they call that the Lord's Prayer. John 17 is probably more accurately the Lord's Prayer. John 17 is when Jesus prays for us. The Bible says Jesus prays for us, that he goes to his heavenly Father and prays for us. That's incredible, right? That Jesus is praying for me, that Jesus is praying for you, that he's your advocate before the heavenly Father. And Jesus prayed. Again, sometime read John 17, amazing passage about how Jesus prayed for us. Now, I want you to notice, and I'm going to go through this next part really quickly after this, but I want you to notice a passage that TGD this morning read from Matthew 7, but in that passage, that Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's the, it's the Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and in that verse, he talks about, in that passage, he talks about prayer a lot, he talks about fasting, he talks about other things that God wants us to do to live out our lives. But in verse 7 of Matthew 6, Jesus said this, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. In other words, Jesus is not saying, and I, I probably a lot of us here have this, the Lord's Prayer memorized, and, that, and that's great. But again, I just want you to notice that Jesus didn't use that model all the way through, and that's not what he's saying. He's giving us an example. He's giving us a, a model, a pattern, if you will. Um, when I was a kid, 
my mom, I think I've told you about this, my mom was an incredible seamstress. When I was a kid, I didn't really appreciate it because she'd make me stuff on her sewing machine and want me to wear it to school. I'm not, I'm not sure that's what I wanted to do, but she was incredible. I'd go with her to the, to the fabric store when I was a kid. I mean, again, we lived in Montrose, so we'd have to go to Binghamton or Scranton to a fabric store. And in there, there were rows and rows and rows and rows of cloth, all kinds of things, you know. And there was this rack that had these little packets. I remember even telling you the story. I can visualize these little packets that were sealed on top and had a picture in the front of what this thing was supposed to look like. And so my mom would buy the pattern, okay. She'd take it home, and she had, if some of you know, she had these special scissors, that had to be used for that. If I used those scissors for anything else, you wouldn't see me today because I'd be dead. Okay? That's, that, my mom had these scissors. And she'd take that, and these little packets, these little envelopes of stuff from the fabric store that were patterns. And I'm not kidding you. You could open that up, and it was the size of an aircraft carrier. Right? I mean, it, it, it was huge. How'd they get it all in there? I, there was a special way... I remember back in the days before GPS when they did maps. You couldn't fold the map back up the right way. Somebody, somebody's sick who teaches, who folds those up because they make you do it and you can't. Pattern. She'd take those special scissors. This thing was all over our dining room table. And she had uh, the chairs set up because it hung out over the table. She'd take the scissors and cut out this piece and cut out this piece and cut out this piece. And then she'd go to the fabric and put the pattern on the fabric and cut it out and then sew it all together and it was the pattern for what the thing would be. Right? We didn't wear the pattern. The pattern taught my mom or showed my mom how to cut this stuff out so that the end result would be like that. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Let me go through this and I'm just going to give you a quick outline. You, this may be, there's six things I'm going to share. And here off to the side, you may want to write these down a little bit because I think that uh, this is the pattern. And I just want to give you some principles about that as we talk about that. So I'm going to do the magic of Microsoft and just show you how this is a little bit. Number one, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Number one, Jesus directed his prayer to the Heavenly Father. Again, you've heard me say a couple times, right? I don't think the Bible teaches us that prayer is not designed to be vain, meaningless rep repetition. Say the same thing. Now, I have said that prayer to God. I have read that to God and all of that, but I don't think the vain, the, the meaningless repetition of over and over again is really what Jesus wants from us in prayer. And, and I don't think this is legalistic either, but I want you to notice something. Jesus directed his prayer to the Heavenly Father. And I think that's a pretty good idea, that when we pray, address our Heavenly Father. Jesus is our advocate. And by the strength, we're going to talk about that more in just a minute, by the strength of the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit. We have all the members of the Trinity, the Godhead, involved in prayer. The Bible teaches that as well. 
But I, I know, and I don't think this is legalistic to say, okay, I'm going to pray to Jesus, I'm going to pray to... But Jesus prayed to the Heavenly Father, and, and he, that was important, and, and I just wanted to highlight that a little bit to get started. And, and, and I think there's something about that, about addressing our Heavenly Father, and I want you to notice this through Scripture, and that is when we address the Heavenly Father, there's a couple of things involved. Number one, I think, is a relationship. I love the idea that in the Bible, God uses the analogy, the illustration of God, the God of the universe, the God that created the universe by speaking, the God that by him all things consist. He holds the universe. God, God is our heavenly father. I know him. I have a relationship with the God of the universe who takes down kings and sets up kings. I know him. He's my father, my heavenly father. There's a relationship involved, and there's also, notice this, incredible respect involved. I think, I think we get flippant sometimes in prayer, sometimes the way we address God. And I think it's important to notice that that, that Jesus, even though he could have. Now, in Scripture, he calls God Abba, Father, which in that culture was a term of endearment like Daddy. But I want you to notice that, that always from Jesus' prayer, there's the relationship that we share. We're part of God's family. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've accepted him, trusted in him, we're a part of God's family. Ephesians, we studied that, calls us the, we're members of the household of God. And God is our heavenly Father. Our Father, we have a relationship, but it's always that respect. And I just wanted to highlight that till we get started. Jesus also honored God in prayer. He honored God in prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We talked about, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Honored, hallowed, respect is your name. Jesus honored God in prayer. Um, does it make sense if you, okay, Todd is my son, right? Does it make sense if Todd shows up, he lives three houses from me, you know, and Todd shows up one day and says, hey, Daddy-o, I need your lawnmower. Bad illustration. You know, whatever, you know. No, if he comes to me and says, Dad, you're the most important person in my life. Can I borrow your lawnmower? That's a whole different thing, right? There's no way I'm going to show up, the President of the United States or the Queen of England or some human that is incredibly important. You know, I mean, I've met, I've tried to meet, like, famous athletes in my day and even those guys that's like I'm not flippant with those guys I'm like you know like turn into a little puppy begging you know it's like hey could I have your autograph please you know Aaron Judge he's taller than me or you know whatever you know no I mean this is the God of the universe and he deserves our respect he deserves our honor and I think that's a really really good habit to develop in prayer Jesus did it 
that we honor the Heavenly Father in our prayer. Jesus was committed to his will, God's will. Your kingdom come. Folks, notice this. Jesus was committed to the Heavenly Father's agenda. I, I think, uh, me, I think in prayer, and I'm, I'm, talking, about, I'm talking about me, and, and, but I think culture is like this, and that is prayer has become about my agenda a whole lot more than it is about God's agenda. And Jesus prayed before he asked the Heavenly Father for anything, thy kingdom come, your agenda, your will be done. And that's why, James, we studied that. This is how we ought to pray. If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. I think uh, if we're committed to the will of God and what God wants to do, then our prayers are a whole lot more effective and a whole lot more um, practical, practical speaking. Does that, does that make sense? Four, uh, ask God to supply needs. Maybe underline the word needs. Give us day by day, day by day, and then daily bread. Jesus didn't ask for anything that was way ahead. He didn't ask for anything he didn't need. Ask God to supply needs, which, which if we do, one of the great things about prayer is if we can pray according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures say, Philippians, my God shall supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4. My God shall supply all your needs according to. I remember my boss at Faith Baptist Bible College used to preach on that passage and would use an illustration. According to. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And, and Dr. Schiff used to say, uh, it doesn't say out of his riches. If I was the wealthiest man in the world, if... I was the wealthiest man in the world. And TGD came to my house one time and said, uh, Yo, Mel, could I uh, borrow some money? Could I have some money? And I reach in my pocket and I give him 50 cents. That's out of my riches. It doesn't say that. It says according to his riches. Again, when we, by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, by his Son, Jesus Christ, are made a part of his family. We get everything that God has according to his riches, not out of. Isn't that an amazing thing? To realize that my God shall supply all you need according to? We're, we're, we, we're the inheritance. We get what God has. That's an amazing thing. Ask God to supply needs. Come to God with a clean heart. It doesn't make sense to go to God with sin when God knows all of that to have a lifestyle that is totally against what he's doing and and then we come to him and say oh God uh, you know help me out bail me out yeah I've been screwing up but and we do that and God's a God of grace and God's a God of love and God's a God of mercy of course but it doesn't even make sense so Jesus went to God in prayer and he made sure that he uh, ask God for forgiveness. 1 John 1 9, maybe write that verse down. If we confess our sin, 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Go to God clean. And notice what else it says there in verse 4. For we forgive everyone else. Part of going to God in prayer and being clean before God is that we've taken care of things in our life and that we don't hold, we're not holding grudges and, and that our lives are clean before him. And then number six is this. It says, trust God for spiritual things. That's my point, that only God can supply, only God can do. It says there at the end, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And really, that is something that's a spiritual matter. That's how Jesus ended his prayer. And that's something that we need God to do in our lives, too. In fact, really, only God can do that. Pray. God, help me resist temptation. <coughs> Give me the ability to resist sin. Temptation in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons that God followers don't, for, don't go on for God is because we have habits of unconfessed sin in our lives that end up being disasters that hurt our lives. And Jesus says he gave us a pattern for sin. He says take care of the, or a pattern for prayer. Take care of those sinful practices. Don't let those be the things, our bad choices, that end up being the thing that hurts our relationship with God and really sometimes takes us away from God, what God wants to do in our lives. Number two, persistence in prayer. I love this part of the story. It's an illustration about prayer, and I'm not going to take a lot of time with the last two, but persistence in prayer. I read this to you before. Let me read it again. He said to them, which of you have a friend? <coughs> She'll go to him at midnight and say, friend, at midnight. Okay, you got to realize, this is uh, ancient Israel, uh, ancient Palestine. There were no... Uh, there was no electricity. There was no, I mean, often in that culture, you got up. When the sun came up, you went to bed when the sun, when the sun came down. The story here, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the culture. It, houses were often one room. And so it says when the kids are in bed with me, literally, they slept. They were, they were, with, the, they were with the parents. The kids are there. The neighbor comes to them in the middle of the night, knocks on the door. Friend, neighbor, lend me three loaves. And then he tells the story, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. Okay, think about that. The journey was probably walking. The word journey indicates a long journey there. So he had walked for a long, long time. He gets there at midnight. And you got to understand that the friend is probably, and his, maybe his family is starving. There's no sheets along the way, right? where you can go in and order french fries or whatever it is. There's no, there's no convenience stores. There's no all-night McDonald's. There's none of that. There's none of that. And uh, they, it had been a long journey, and there's no food. And so the, they get to the neighbor's house, and maybe there's an indication that they didn't even have any food. So my neighbor, aha, you know, the window was open during the day. They were making bread today. And bread wasn't a loaf like we think of that somebody had sliced it and put it in a plastic bag. They were probably individual rolls, like, you know, like baguettes or something, these little rolls. And so he says, um, a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, the neighbor, and say, don't trouble me. My door is shut. My children are with me in bed in this one room. I, you know, I cannot uh, rise and give it to you. But then he says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give it to him because he's his friend, Yet because of his persistence, 
he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The word persistence there. If you have, some of you here have uh, ESV and uh, have Im Im impudence, you know, it's, it's more like an attitude more than it is a, an over and over again. Uh, NIV, some of you have NIV maybe here. That, that translation in talking about persistence says shameless audacity to come to me at midnight and ask me for bread. You know, the shameless audacity. But hey, my friend needs bread. I know you got some. And then there's a story in Matthew 15. I'm not going to take the time, but it's about a woman whose daughter had uh, demon possession and how she came to the Lord and as a demonstration of faith, basically Mel's paraphrase says even just a little bit and she asked the Lord repeatedly and the Lord said, because of your faith, right now it's granted. And the Lord, because of her faith. I think here's the point of this story that I want us to understand before I move on. I, this is just from the internet. I don't know if it looked like that or whatever. But the neighbor goes to his neighbor at midnight. It's the middle of the night. I mean, they weren't staying up to watch the late show or the third hour of Sports Center or anything like that. They're in bed. The family's in bed. But the neighbor went to his neighbor because he knew he had bread. He knew he had bread. There's no sheets. There's no all-night Weiss markets. You know, there's no McDonald's with a drive-through. There's none of that. These people need bread. These people need to eat. He goes to his neighbor because he knew. He knew there's bread in there. And he kept knocking because he knew. My neighbor has bread. They made bread today. There's bread in there. And so I think part of the story about prayer, the illustration that God wants us to use and to learn is this, that there are times in prayer that we ask God for things that only God can do. That only God. And that we keep asking God. We keep, did you hear me? We keep asking God in prayer because we know there's bread in there. We know God can answer. Sometimes we pray and walk away and forget. There were times in Scripture where Jesus himself, I have prayed for you, or excuse me, where Paul wrote in the, in the Gospels over and over and over again, I prayed for you every day. I think the Apostle Paul had a prayer request, had a prayer list, over and over and over and over and over again praying for that. I, I do that. Have a prayer list of things that, I, that are so important to me that I want to pray for those things every single day. They're that important. Folks, there's bread in there. God can answer our prayer. God can answer our prayer. Humanly, there are things that are just out of our league. Humanly, and it's not going to work. There's bread in there. God, and only God, can do that. And I think there's times in life where we get frustrated humanly about prayer and we put a time limit on God and I think in this passage Jesus would say don't keep on praying keep on knocking because there's bread in there because God can and will answer prayer and that brings us to the next one the personal focus of prayer I say to you and again I don't know if you can see the different color change that's here but there's an interesting in English 
acronym or acrostic, if you will. So I say to you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. A, S, K, ask, seek, knock. In every single one of those, the language here is keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking. It's not just one time, oh, I'm praying, I'm done. Keep on asking. My knuckles are getting sore. Keep on seeking, keep on knocking. There's bread in there. And to realize that only God can answer those requests. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And then he gives this illustration, another story. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, he will offer him a scorpion. I mean, even that doesn't make sense. God is a God who answers prayer. And notice the personal focus. The son asks his father for a specific thing, and the father's going to give him something that's wrong, that's evil, that's bad. Absolutely not. And then the passage ends here, which I've known for a while I was going to preach on this passage. And I got to realize, I, I, I got to tell you that, that, that honestly, the ending has always left me with a question mark. Really? Okay, here it is. If you then, being evil, having a sin nature, know how to give good gifts to your children, every father understands that illustration. Every parent, every person <coughs> understands that illustration. But then it says this, how much more will your, your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit who asked of him. You know, he's just talked about prayer. He's talked about bread. He's talked about a fish. He's talked, you know, talked about very, very personal things. And Jesus says the answer to those requests is the Holy Spirit. Does that leave a question mark in your mind? So I'd put some notes there in your in your sheet, the golden rod or yellow sheet about the Holy Spirit. Somewhere along the line, look up Romans 8, 9, look up 1 Corinthians 6, look up 2 Timothy 1, 14. The Holy Spirit, if we're a believer, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit indwells all of us. The Holy Spirit is there. We get the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit that we're placed into God's family. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, is the person, but it's the force of God living, living in us. And if you were to look through, and you maybe want to jot down some of these references, because in your notes, I just gave you the word. And that is, all the way through the scriptures, God tells us about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's our comforter. He provides power for outreach. He's our helper. The Spirit guides us in all truth. He searches all things, even the deep things of God. And he offers communion and fellowship. So here's the thing. The question mark is, uh, okay, in, in the passage, is the, the, the son asks for bread and asks for, you know, for all, all of those very practical things. And Jesus says, I'm going to answer your prayer by giving you the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when we are hurting and we pray, we have the comfort 
of the Holy Spirit living in us, that comfort. That's what, what an incredible answer to prayer. When we need power to share the gospel and to live our faith, we have the Holy Spirit. When we need help for whatever we face, God's given us the Holy Spirit. If we need truth because we don't know the answers to questions, the Holy Spirit guides us in all truth. And that's why when difficulties happen in life, it ought to drive us to the Word of God. Because the Word of God, there's answers. We have the Word of we have the, the, the Holy Spirit of God that can help us learn the things that we need for those things in our lives. He searches all things, even the deep things of God. Life gives hard questions sometimes. But we have the Holy Spirit to help us do that and help us know where to look, even the deep things of God. And sometimes we're lonely and hurting. And we have the Holy Spirit who offers communion and fellowship with God the Father, with Jesus Christ. So no wonder Jesus said, you ask for those things, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you the, the Holy Spirit of God. Again, only God can do those things. So at the bottom of your notes, there's a box. I'm sorry, Beth, I'm sorry. May I back up? Okay. Yep. Yeah, I should have put the references in there so you'd have them. But you'll learn them better if you have to write them down. Okay, here, here it is. The box at the end. Here's my application statement, and I'm done. The, Holy, the, hot, the Heavenly Father, excuse me, is the source of everything we need. We must stay close to him, pray much, and trust him to provide. That's a good lesson, right? The Heavenly Father is the source of everything we need. We must stay close to him so our prayers are answered. Pray much and trust him to provide. He's going to provide exactly what we need, the answers to prayer. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've taught us. Like your son taught disciples years ago. Oh, oh Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray too. Your kingdom come, your will be done, hallowed, honored be your name. God, forgive me when there's things in my life that need to be cleansed, but I thank you that I can agree with you that it's sin and that you'll cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And Father, if I have something against someone else, help me to be a person that forgives so I can come to you clean and that you can answer with your resources that are exactly what I need. In fact, to help me to realize God over and over and over again that the whole point of prayer is that we're asking you for something that only you can do. Father, I thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, of our Savior, your Son, and how he prayed to you. And thank you for this example, which has incredible lessons for our lives. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to stay close to you. Help us to realize that you are the provider of all things and that we can pray and trust you to provide. Father, I thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.